This is Comic Shanigans, episode 208, Flashback to Infinite Crisis. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 208. It's our flashback to Infinite Crisis episode. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. A little bit of housekeeping first. So this episode, I know I'm the only one out there who actually cares about the schedule for Comic Shenanigans. I know that. But I know that this episode is later than I would have originally anticipated it being. So to no one at all except for myself, I will apologize for that delay. Um, So, And actually, for those, some people who have subscribed to the show might have noticed that... um, and I don't think there was too many before I noticed it, but uh, episode 209 briefly came on online, actually before episode 208 was even recorded. Um, I had I never have a chance to do review of the episodes in advance, but this past week I did. So episode 209, which is for the releases that came out on the, I guess, 8th of uh, October, I did it actually on the 9th of October, I recorded the episode, and then I queued it up to schedule it to, you know, come online on this, on the, uh, I guess, the 13th, and thinking, oh, I'll have done episode 208 by then, not a big problem, and then I wake up uh, on Canadian Thanksgiving on the 13th, and I'm like, what? There's an episode online? That's a mistake, because I hadn't had a chance all weekend to uh, record episode 208, so this is the new episode. Uh, It's a follow-up to episode 204, uh, which was our flashback to Countdown to Infinite Crisis, just kind of looking at Infinite Crisis as a whole, um, or I shouldn't really say as a whole, because in reality... Uh, although I, I think I read most of the times when they first came out, I don't necessarily own them anymore, so it's a lot harder to kind of go back and read everything that happened during Infinite Crisis. Uh, instead, I'm mainly just going to be kind of zeroing in the focus on the main uh, Infinite Crisis storyline that's uh, in my trade paperback version, as well as my digital digital version I recently picked up, uh, as well as my Superman Infinite Crisis trade paperback, which I'll be referring to as well, uh, which actually is kind of a fun fun bit of story, although not that important in the grand scale scheme of things. Uh, so that's kind of what we'll be looking at today. Uh, Infinite Crisis, for those not in the know, uh, ended up uh, being followed up by the DC one, one Year Later, which I actually also did a flashback episode on previously, which you can go back and listen to. Uh, I think it was in the 90s. Uh, the 90s of the... Uh, of the episode numbers of Comic Shenanigans, anyway, or the 190s, that I should say. Um, and it was a very interesting storyline that happened. I mean, it was uh, kind of a, a 20 years since uh, Crisis and in Infinite Earths, uh, big deal in terms of uh, it was the first major thing I think Dan DiDio had really done um, in terms of really changing the DCU, and I think it, it did. It was definitely a really big storyline. Um, the, and I've, I said this in the last episode, 204, uh, that there was so much going into the planning of Infinite Crisis in terms of, you know, seeding out the, the word crisis, uh, seeing certain characters from the, um, from the, you know, uh, Crisis and Infinite storylines kind of showing up. You had Pariah showing up, I believe, in uh, Sinister Six. Sorry, uh, Villains United. Uh, you, I think you also had Lady Cork show up there. So you're starting to see these little pieces of a different world. Uh, we found out that uh, Power Girl was, in fact, the Earth 2, uh, you know, it was really from Earth 2. So you're starting to get these ideas uh, of characters, etc., and it was really kind of a big deal. Uh, you're getting the slow burn reveal, and then when Infinite Crisis finally happened, uh, it was very exciting. Now, one thing I didn't talk about on the Countdown to Infinite Crisis episode was that uh, the Justice League storyline that was going up in the months leading up to um, Infinite Crisis was called, I believe, Crisis of Conscience. 
uh, which basically was kind of showed the destruction of the Justice League because of mistrust of everything that kind of had originally been introduced as an element in Identity Crisis, the idea of there being mind-wiping of uh, villains in the past. Uh, this kind of really came to the fore during that storyline. It uh, really fractured the League. There was no real team. And at the end of that storyline, you had the Watchtower blow up and Martian Manhunter. It's unknown what his status was after that. So he was kind of removed from the board. And all we knew was that whoever blew up the Watchtower was a character that Superman, uh, sorry, that Martian Manhunter would have recognized or at least thought he knew who they were. Um, these are all, you know, very big uh, points to bring up when you start looking at Infinite Crisis uh, proper, uh, which we are about to do now. Uh, so uh, let's, uh, um, if you have it at home, uh, you know, get out your first issue or get out your trade paperback or queue up your digital file. And let's just uh, kind of take a look at uh, Infinite Crisis, which was, again, quite a big deal for DC when it first came out. It still is, to be honest with you. And just as a point of interest, uh, DC hasn't necessarily done a lot of on the buy. Um, they usually do like the absolute collections, etc. But uh, they do have done a few on the buy, uh, kind of borrowing the um, the format from Marvel. And uh, well, not borrowing. I don't think they have like a patent on it, but whatever. Uh, there is an Infinite Crisis uh, omnibus. I just kind of out of curiosity looked it up on Amazon. Uh, .ca and I think it was like $700 or something because it's, it's out of print no one really has it so the people who do have it are trying to get like ridiculous amount of money for it uh, it is quite a lengthy tome containing all the countdown miniseries the core Infinite Crisis miniseries as well as I believe the issues that led into Sacrifice as well uh, which is a little disappointing because I mean I feel like there's enough material in Infinite Crisis in general in terms of everything that was going on during the storyline that I actually probably would have wanted to pick that up if it had been multiple volumes that really had everything that was Infinite Crisis, which is quite a large amount of books. I totally would would want to buy that just as a as not a not even a completionist, but someone who likes having the entirety of an event so that you can kind of go back and read all of it. I mean, for better or for worse, I have the Avengers vs. X-Men companion, which is massive and much larger than the actual Avengers vs. X-Men uh, hardcover, uh, and it has everything that happened during that crossover. Now, is it all good? God, no. Some of it's downright terrible, but I like the idea that, you know, I could sit down... And, 10 years from now or even a year from now or even a month from now and sit down and be like I want to read everything that happened in this event I want to remember everything I kind of wish I know that they kind of did that with Civil War from Marvel uh, but it was more like a, a series of hardcovers but which is kind of what I want but again it, it wasn't as comprehensive and they weren't doing it as like a volume one volume two kind of thing it was more like for different kind of families of books and they were kind of released a little sporadically, and then by the time I kind of was like, oh, that might be a great idea, all out of print. So uh, I do like the idea of kind of taking that type of stuff. I mean, even now, when I look at my kind of on-the-buy collection, a bunch of them are kind of event-based. I have a Secret Wars 2 one, because I want to read everything from Secret Wars 2. Again, a lot of it's garbage, some of it's great, a lot of it's middle of the road. I can read that in a giant uh, hardcover collection. Uh, Acts of Vengeance, I have two volumes of that. Uh, there's the Acts of Vengeance on the buy and then um, a crossover on the buy uh, for those who like uh, Inf X-Men's Inferno there's the core Inferno hardcover then there's an Inferno crossovers which has every Marvel crossover that was pretty much non-X based books and showing what those books were doing during Inferno so I'm a big fan of that kind of stuff so I wish that there was more of those available in general um, anyway back to Infinite Crisis or let's start with Infinite Crisis um so, I mean, rereading it, it really, it's interesting that 
in a lot of ways, uh, it reads like an event that's already in progress, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, sometimes um, you don't want... Okay, I'm going to say this in a negative connotation, but it doesn't need to be taken that way. There's kind of a, a bendacy way of writing events, I would say, which isn't always the case, but has been the case with some of his events. So like Secret Invasion, etc. There's a lot of setup. Um, or you're kind of establishing shots to understand the world, and then you kind of throw shit around. Or you have Age of Ultron, which just jumps right in with the idea that, oh, we're going to eventually reveal this, and it's going to be really cool, and then you don't talk about it at all. Uh, Infinite Crisis is very much, you're you're coming in, you feel like you're coming in halfway through the first act, because you know you, you open this book, and the Watchtower has already been destroyed. You have Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman have already kind of all at each other's throats. If you haven't been reading The Countdown, I mean, you get enough to kind of get what's going on. Like, you're not going to be totally screwed if you don't read The Countdown miniseries. But it's extremely important. But, on the one hand, I mean, it makes reading the core event not quite as easy to jump into because there's a there's a lot of groundwork that's already been laid but at the same time makes those tie-in miniseries extremely important because they actually serve a function a purpose they're not just tertiary they're not you know not important at all to the to main story and said they actually are quite important um so you're reading this and again this first issue you have the it's narrated by an off-screen character who ends up being uh, Superman of Earth 2. Spoilers, if you haven't read this, it's been out for 10 years, but whatever, or 9 years. Um, and again, I love one thing I love about DC Comics, and Marvel too, but DC Comics especially, is the feeling of legacy, is of all these different characters inhabiting this dense world. Uh, and again, especially in this era, um, just kind of seeing where everyone was at. I mean, this is... What I like about these types of events where they're very much ingrained in what was going on in the current continuity of the day is that it almost reads like an artifact. Like, I picked this up. This is a nine-year-old artifact of where DC Comics were at this point in time. Forever Evil is not really a good indicator of where the DC Universe is at a specific time. It was kind of an insulated event, which didn't affect many places except for its own you know, kind of tie-in miniseries, which is fine, but it also made it feel more insulated. This was a massive event, and then when you read these characters, you're like, oh, wow, I forgot about, you know, Connell was, you know, not part of uh, the Teen Titans at the time. He was dealing with the fact that his parentage was part Lex Luthor, part Superman. Him, he was dealing with that. Uh, he was living in Smallville with Mom Pa. Well, oh, yeah, I forgot what that was like. You have um, Donna Troy had recently returned. Remember Donna Troy? If you're never read the DC before, DC Universe before, the New 52, you have no freaking clue who Donna Troy is, because they're pretending she doesn't exist. But here she was actually kind of an important character, although I think of all the plot elements of Infinite Crisis, it's possibly hers which gets the least amount of resolution in terms of she's getting this squad together to go do something at the edge of the universe, and do they ever really do it? Like, I still don't know what the point of their part of the story was. Um... In this first issue, again, you have the, the plight of the, these Omax everywhere, and there's, like, a shit ton of Omax, so I almost feel like more should have happened with that. Uh, in the Sector 2682 in the Polaris Galaxy, you have all these star-faring heroes dealing with uh, this kind of gap in the, in the world, like, there's this big disruption, even the Guardians don't really know what's going on, that something's changed the nature of the cosmos... Um, now this is something I remember because there was a lot of message board speculation at the time is 
there was a lot of speculation that something might happen to Batman in Infinite Crisis. And I remember in this first issue when you have uh, the Rock of Attorney gets blown up and then uh, Captain Marvel, you know, goes sent down and hits uh, Renee Montoya and Chris Pasolin's car, which is a nice little thing that is actually revisited or not revisited is shown in the uh, Gotham Central issue that was published at the same time which is kind of a weird series to have published in the middle of like a massive you know universe shaking event and you have a book that's very much like it's some cops dealing with the end of the world which is kind of a cool concept to see because it often you don't get to see you know kind of regular people uh, when these major things happen, uh, it always reminds me of what, an episode of Babylon Five, where I think it was like these maintenance workers, and it was kind of tracking their story while all the crazy things that happened in a regular episode of Babylon Five were still going on. We just got glimpses of it. I love things like that where we we see a, where the focus is pulled in tight on a character who is not really that important generally. Uh, but makes all the difference uh, in that particular case. Anyways, then you have this amazing shot of the Spectre um, unleashed above Gotham City, and then in the back, in kind of the fore, not foreground, but in the middle of Go- uh, where the Spectre's chest would be, uh, you have the bat signal being shown up into the skies. Uh, a few things to take out from this. Obviously, you've got red skies, which is always a hallmark of a crisis, but really, the shot of, bat- of the bat symbol in the green... Uh, on the Spectre's chest, there was a lot of speculation that maybe Batman was going to be the new Spectre. Like, the Spectre is going to have a new host. It has to. Maybe it'll be Batman. I don't know where the speculation came out. Maybe it was because of that panel. But you can see why. I mean, that seems like it would almost be foreshadowing that, oh, something big is going down, and there's a bat symbol on the Spectre's chest. It's not like we haven't seen the Spectre bonded to a hero before. I mean, we had Hal Jordan as the Spectre. So it was really interesting uh, to kind of look back at that and be like, oh, yeah, totally forgot about this. Um, in a kind of a callback to the original Crisis, you have Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters uh, really get their asses kicked in this first issue um, by kind of an, an insane assemblage of heroes uh, sorry, a villain, sorry, that are not necessary to take out the Freedom Fighters. You've got Dr. Light, who up until 2004, or up until 2003, was still a joke character, and then after Infant, uh, Identity Crisis, suddenly he was not a joke character. He's a former rapist who was ridiculously powerful and competent and had his mind restored. So you have him, Dr. Polaris, Deathstroke, um, one of my favorite Flash villains of all time, Zoom, uh, Hunter Zolomon, uh, the uh, I guess the, you could almost call him the Wally West Professor, uh, Wally West Reverse Flash because that's basically what he was. Uh, Black Adam, uh, I already said Deathstroke, Bizarro, uh, Sinestro, and Cheetah. Wow, that is an old, that is an assemblage that can go up against the Justice League. In fact, just Deathstroke can go up against the Justice League depending on who's writing it. So seeing this kind of uh, much talent going up against uh, the Freedom Fighters is extremely brutal. It reminds me that there's a lot of violence, like, not just violence, because comic books have, are violent, but there's a lot of death and destruction in this series. And there's, like, you know, characters being stabbed through the chest. Um, you know, a lot of brutal things do happen here. Um, on the Watchtower, you have Mongol, I guess, escaping. Like, I don't even know if it really makes sense why he's there. Although, a nice little tie-in, he shows up here, and I believe he steals the Black Mercy, and then he shows up uh, and, and uh, battles Green Lantern and Green Arrow with it. Uh who, I guess, at that one moment weren't part of uh, Identity... Ah, so many crises weren't part of the Infinite Crisis at that point in time in the Green Lantern book, written by Jeff Johns. Um, obviously, Jeff Johns wrote Infinite Crisis as well, and the artwork, at least at the beginning, was by Phil Jimenez. Uh, the, um, 
having Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman against Mongols is actually a really cool sequence. Um, and the idea that Wonder Woman is suddenly in full-on let's-kill-the-villains mode. It's a little harsh. I mean, she is a warrior. She's not afraid of death. And obviously, she killed Max Lord to save the world. Uh, she didn't need to almost kill Mongol here. But um, I get the, the point that Jeff Johns is trying to make is that there's a clear difference here that Wonder Woman is now is willing to kill villains it's a, yeah I mean yes obviously she's a warrior she can kill but I feel like to do against Max Lord there's no other option he was a he was a telepath we couldn't stop the telepathy and screwing over Superman and potentially having Superman destroy everyone without killing him I get that I mean here Mongol does not need to be almost killed and then one of my favorite panels, Superman grabbing the, the sword kind of between his legs and putting his hands around the side of it. First of all, I'm thinking, isn't it an enchanted sword? Is he bleeding right now? And second, how close did that get to his junk? Um, and then, again, Mongol kind of takes off and ends up disappearing. And you have, you know, these these characters still dealing with the fact that they don't trust each other anymore. And uh, Batman telling Superman, you know, hasn't inspired anyone since he was dead. Uh, since Superman was dead, rather. Uh, and then at the end of the issue, we have these characters that we've have read their narration of, and we ha- we see them talking and watching everything that's going on uh, throughout the issue in like some sort of glass fortress or crystal fortress of some kind. Almost reminds me of the um, the Crystal Palace in the Exiles comic. Uh, and then finally, Superman of Earth Two busts through, and that's when you realize, holy shit, uh, these are the four characters who survived or. Not really. Well, survived the crisis in the Infinite Earths, but then disappeared into a black hole, basically. Uh, they're still alive. We have a, a grown-up Alexander Luther, uh, Superboy Prime, Superman Prime. Sorry, not Superman Prime. Superman of Earth 2 and an older Lois Lynn. Um, one thing I want to point out before I actually go any further, so that's issue one. Um, every issue of the series had dual covers uh you had a cover by jo- uh by uh, george perez and a cover by jim lee so i remember I, when i was picking up the original singles i picked i think every cover i had uh by um george perez instead of jim lee which is kind of intriguing for me to look back at that because i'm like why would i have chosen that i mean jim lee is the more marketable artist generally i mean in terms of flashiness and commercialism um i'm impressed that i went with the probably the better storyteller which would be george perez uh, I say that because when I purchased a rich, uh, recently uh, Infinite Crisis uh, on my, on Comixology, um, I, the first cover listed is, and each one is the Jim Lee cover. And for some of them, I was like, I don't even remember these covers. Uh, but then I realized like that that's why. Um, so issue two, um, again, so the George Perez cover is actually the first one shown in the uh, in the trade paperback. And uh, has Power Girl kind of seeing glimpses of the pre-new, the pre-crisis era, uh, a lot of seminal moments, um, and then we have the Jim Lee cover, which is I think a lot less interesting. Uh, it's good Jim Lee art, but it's just Power Girl strutting her stuff. Um, and uh, in this issue, we have Animal Man kind of taken off for uh, with Cyborg for um, not for Cyborg, but meeting with Cyborg on I guess New Cronus. Um, and that's where Donna Troy and her team is, including Firestorm, Supergirl. A lot of characters were just kind of taken off the map. And again, I feel like it never really led anywhere. Um, so you have Power Girl fighting against Giganta and the Society. And then Superman shows up, Superman of Earth 2, and tries to, uh, you know, say hi, cousin. You know, like, that's who I am. 
Uh, Superman is despondent over the fact that maybe Batman's right uh, about, you know, he hasn't inspired anyone since he died. Lex Luthor at this moment is having problems with his mind. Uh, he is dressed in his battle armor and he's trying to find out what's going on because there's another Lex Luthor out there and the one who's actually running this society and he hates this imposter. Um, Superman of Earth 2 brings Power Girl to meet with uh, Alexander Luthor, um, Superboy Prime, and with Lois and trying to tell her where she's from and she's able to uh, kind of remember how the multiverse was created. So there's a bit of a, a, a info dump here, but an, an enjoyable one where uh, the Earth 2 Superman is kind of relaying exactly what happened, the entire kind of lead up to Crisis on Infinite Earths, what Crisis on Infinite Earth was, uh, flashbacks at how he views the what has happened to the, the kind of the new Earth reality um, has really kind of gone downhill. And so the, I, I love this type of stuff where you see all sorts of callbacks and shots of, you know, things that have happened in yesteryear, whether it be shots from the original Crest and Infinite Earths, whether it be, you know, shots of Nightfall and the death of Robin and, and Superman dying and when uh, Wonder Woman was actually Artemis. Uh, Artemis had taken over as Wonder Woman. Uh, Hal Jordan going crazy. Uh, we have all the modern stuff like Ted Core getting his head blown off, Max Lord dying, uh, Superboy, you know, kind of briefly going crazy and uh, being controlled by Lex Luthor, and uh, seeing that you know reality started to warp and they've tried, they're going to try and put things back to normal to save Lois. Um, then on the moon we have Booster Gold showing up, which at this point isn't a huge deal, but eventually would be a quite a big deal. I mean. Uh, coming out of Infinite Crisis, Booster Gold had a new significance. He was in the one of the main uh, leads of 52, and then he had his own ongoing for a few years, which, at, the, at least at the beginning, was actually quite a strong ongoing and a lot of fun. Um, Joker here shows up, which I think is his only appearance in Infinite Crisis, where he's not very happy that he didn't get invited to join uh, the Secret Society, and he's kind of pissed off about it. And I think he shows up here in issue two, and I don't think he shows up again to the last issue. Um, I could be wrong. I mean, I could totally be misremembering this. Um, Kara finally remembers her origin. Um, and then Batman's dealing with, you know, Brother Eye is kind of broken away from him. The Omax are attacking Paradise Island, um, and destroying it. And so it's up to the Amazons and Wonder Woman are trying to repel the Omax, uh, and stop them. Uh, and then at the end of the issue, Superman's basically revealing that, you know, he's, they're, they're doing what they can um, so that the right Earth can return, which he believes to be his Earth, which is a more more optimistic, more hopeful world, which is le not nearly as dark. Um, that leads us to issue three, which has, a, again, a great uh, George Perez cover of uh, Wonder Woman fighting off the Omax. Or you can read, no, still an interesting um, Jim Lee cover with, uh, you have uh, Superman of Earth 2 kind of with an open hand to uh, Batman to join him. And you have uh, shots of the, uh, I guess, what, the Catwoman and the uh, Robin of Earth 2 behind him. Um, and again, this I, it's so interesting to see how much was going on at this era. We have uh, Sub Diego, or sorry, San Diego, which at this point was uh, underwater, or at least part, part of it was, as uh, Aquaman fights on. Um, it's interesting, too, because at the time, I'm pretty sure there... I guess Mira was here. See, I'm not a huge Aquaman fan, especially at this point. I mean, I am, I'm a bigger Aquaman fan now than I ever was before, so I don't really remember a lot of what was going on here. We got Tempest, um, uh, the Spectre kind of just 
trying to destroy Atlantis, which would lead into a big status quo shift for Aquaman and his universe after Infinite Crisis in the uh, one year later uh, era. Uh, Paradise Island again, trying to repel uh, what's going on. Uh, Batman's just freaking out and pissed off about what's going on with uh, Brother Eye. Uh, and he's he just he can't do this anymore. He wishes he could just start over. And then he gets uh, he gets uh, um, a visit paid to him by Kal El or Earth Two Superman. As uh, Lois is about to die, uh, the old Lois, uh, Superboy, and Power Girl kind of having a conversation as well. Um, magic is kind of going haywire. We have the Shadow Pact kind of first kind of getting together. Although I guess they were already together in the Day of Engines storyline. Um, we have uh, Jaime Reyes uh, finding uh, the Blue Beetle Scarab, which will change him forever. Uh, again, in space, everyone's just trying to keep things together. A firestorm has a, a major thing going on, which again doesn't make a lot of sense unless you read the tie-in to Firestorm. Uh, in Keystone, uh, and this is kind of reminiscent of the original Crisis. When the original Crisis happened, uh, Barry Allen was happy in, in the future, and then he kind of raced back into getting involved with everything. So here we have Wally West enjoying his children. Uh, his book had just just about ended, or was ending, um, and he races off to uh, you know to do what he can to um, to stop these tornadoes and and be a hero. Um, Superman again is trying to get Batman to join him and say that you know I'll always be at your side paradise island ends up kind of um disappearing and, and being gone and wonder woman's alone uh again um, lex luther is trying to figure out uh how to find the the false lex luther whereas the society finally turns on black adam himself which we don't really know why that's happening yet and then finally we have the two luthers confronting each other um which is a pretty big moment. Also, we have Batman trying to fight against Superman, and Superman being kind of disappointed that, um, you know, he, he, he there's so much paranoia and mistrust, which is making him believe that, again, he's doing the right thing by trying to wipe out this this Earth. Um, we finally find out that the Lex Luthor who's been leading the society is none other than the Alexander Luthor. Um, and then... Uh, Superman, uh, sorry, Lex Luthor gets his armor uh, taken apart by Superboy Prime. We finally have uh, Batman finding out who who destroyed the Watchtower as it was Superboy Prime. Then he realizes there's something a lot worse going on here. Um, Power Girl finds the this massive tower created from the husk of the Anti-Monitor where he sees a lot of different characters from the different alternate realities, including Ray, Black Adam, Martian Manhunter, um, and then uh, she gets portrayed by Superboy Prime and uh, Alexander Luther because they have something else going on and they knew that she wouldn't help them. Uh, then we get into issue, I guess, four, which is a big status quo shift as Chemo gets uh, dropped on Bloodhaven, essentially destroying it, which is uh, a cute, which again would be a huge shift for the DCU because Bloodhaven is basically taken away as a viable. Uh, place to run stories um nightwing wouldn't be there anymore uh when he eventually came back uh as a as an ongoing character um i guess in the lead up to infinite crisis he'd kind of been villainous but not really trying to infiltrate the society um here he's just straight out hero because he's kind of given that up no he's not renegade and um and then i remember post 
one year and one year later, he was I think in New York City, and there was kind of two Nightwings running around. There was Jason Todd and uh, Dick Grayson, so it was a far removed from the Bloodhaven era. Um, so Power Girl trying to escape from where she's uh, imprisoned by Superboy Prime and Alexander Luther, and we learn that you know he's that the this is kind of the info, again another info dump, but this is the more important one. This isn't stuff we didn't necessarily knew. This is more Alexander Luther revealing exactly what's been going on in terms of why the Omax are are doing anything that they're working for him, the way that the war against magic was orchestrated by Alexander Luther. Um, because of what happened to uh, Gene Loring, um, how everything's kind of been manipulated, how the Ranthanagar War would eventually be created as a result of what uh, Superboy Prime is doing, just moving planets and throwing them into each other, uh, which is pretty crazy. And at, all, at this point, this is where we really get a bit of a turning point, because Superboy Prime, all he really wants is to be Superboy again. He doesn't want to... He wants to be able to take his rightful place. Uh, we also have uh, Batman reaching out to Dick Grayson saying he needs help, which is a big deal for the character. Um, Connell being uh, in, in, engaged by Superboy Prime. You have Booster Gold going to find the, the, the future new Blue Beetle uh, to try and help him. And then in, in Smallville is the big fight between uh, Superboy and Superboy. Um, Batman needs Nightwing to kind of gather everyone. Uh, gather the heroes. Uh, the Titans go up against um, Superboy Prime, which again leads into something pretty crazy as well. Um, we have the Spectre being uh, put inside Crispus Allen, which would forever change that character, at least until the New 52 made it all known void. Uh, Superboy starts killing people, including, I believe, Pantha. Um, Red Star. He, uh, there's a lot of people. He He's like killing people with his vision. He's uh, freezing people, he's, you know, accidentally ripping people's hands off. This is kind of crazy in terms of how much graphic destruction there was here. And this is where it kind of takes a turn. That People, you could almost forgive Alexander Luther maybe becoming slightly villainous, but the fact that Superboy Prime, this kind of really pure character, was suddenly turned so kind of evil, and it also brought rise to a lot of people like uh, Nathan Strzok, who's been on the show in the past. Uh, he hates this whole personification of Superboy Prime, the whole narration of, you know, of, sorry, his um, uh, dialogue bubbles of, you know, you're ruining everything, you're making me like you. It's kind of crazy just how far they took him in the span of like two or three pages. Um, then we have one of my favorite sequences where you have all the speedsters at the time. So you have uh, Bart Allen as Kid Flash, Wally West as The Flash, and Jay Garrick as The Flash, all uh, trying to dump him into the Speed Force. Uh, and at one point, uh, Jay Garrick's not fast enough. Although we do get to see a use for the helmet as uh, it's able to block some heat vision. Although, really, that helmet is stopping heat vision. It's not just being melted. Uh, anyways, Jay Garrick isn't able to, uh, to keep running with them, but then uh, Wally and Bart are able to run with um, uh, Superboy anyway. And then we have Wally. Now, this was never really well explained, and I, I know it has been explained, but also not, because here we have Wally West seemingly kind of disappear, and and uh, he's trying to say goodbye to Linda and their kids, and then they all disappear. Um, that's never really well explained. I mean, in the Flash Fastest Man Alive, uh, I think 12, 13 issue series uh, where Bart became the Flash and was older, uh, it was kind of referenced that there, there was like an alternate Earth where everyone, where the Flash, where Wally West and his family was. And then 
during the Lightning Saga in the JSA uh, JLA crossover, they came back. And then when Wally West had his own book again, it slowly kind of got referenced that there was this weird dimension that Barry and Wally had been to before, and then that's where they ended up being while he was away with his family instead of being on Earth, which is stupid. And I guess technically that's the one that ended up taking hold, but that's a terrible... Like, it was just such an uninteresting concept, whereas the one of there being an alternate Earth where they were living is a lot more interesting, and especially with what would happen with the 52, etc. So it's really unfortunate. So just reading that really reminds me how badly that was, how bad that was. Um, so then it's just Wally, and then he's trying to, um, to uh, you know, railroad uh, Superboy Prime into the uh, Speed Force, and then, um, then, then you have Barry Allen show up, and says, you know, and uh, which is an awesome sequence where suddenly he's like, you're not alone. And he's grabbing Superboy Prime. And then you see Max Mercury, Johnny Quick, grabbing Superboy Prime and dumping him into the Speed Force. And he, they're not the only ones. Bart also disappears. Again, it makes sense that they would, if there's dimensional travel of some kind instead of some weird reality, which ended up being the retcon. Um, anyways, then Jay... Jay then feels that the Speed Force is gone, which, again, doesn't make a lot of sense why the Speed Force would be gone. Uh, but, again, in terms of a, a big event with a lot of, you know, big things happening, suddenly having all the flashes gone except for Jay Garrick, who was already fast and didn't necessarily have, was never really tapping into the Speed Force, suddenly he's the only one left and he can feel the Speed Force gone. That's a crazy page-turner. I mean, you got to think of it not in terms of what happened afterwards, but what was, what was happening here, and that was extremely exciting. Um, and then you have um, them getting Black uh, Black Adams kind of activating this uh, this anti monitor tower that uh, Alex and Luther's trying to use, and then we see this giant hole in reality is actually kind of his hands are going through a dimensional rift to kind of remake the universe the way he likes, um, and then suddenly Earth Two is back. And Superman and Le- and uh, Lois Lane up for Earth Two are transported there, and he's just saying, uh, "We're ho- we're here, Lois. We're home." And you look up and you see the Daily Star instead of the Daily Planet, and that leads into issue five. I may have lost track of issues, um, which again, I really like the c- the covers. Looks a little bit rushed. It looks like I think I guess it is Perez, but it looks like it's more heavily inked by Ordway. So it, I don't know if I like it as much. Uh, with Superboy, sorry, Superman from Earth Two punching uh, Superman of Earth One and shattering worlds, and then you have the Jim Lee cover, which is actually a pretty snazzy. Um, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, the new Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes, and uh, and Batman cover with uh, the two Wonder Womans, Wonder Woman of Earth Two and Wonder Woman of New Earth uh, at the top. And I again, I love when they do big sequences where they have like, every hero assembled together and. It's, Again, what part of what makes it an artifact is looking at the costumes at the time, what people were wearing, the fact that Black Lightning hadn't shifted into his cooler costume that he would have as part of the Justice League. Um, you know, um, oh, Katana looking very different. Uh, Arsenal and his hadn't become Red Arrow yet, so you know, still as Arsenal. Uh, seeing the members of the Outsiders that had existed at that time. Um, you know, seeing that the Guardian was still there, the one from Seven Soldiers. Uh, you have like Robot Man, like it's a really interesting assemblage. You have like the classic kind of um, uh, uh, Mary Marvel, and you've got Star Girl and Doctor Midnight. Like I, I love panels like this where you have all these characters together, even though a lot of them are really not that well known, and they're all at this kind of um, gathering. Um, 
which is being presided over by Zoriel level characters. And then we flash back to Earth 2, where all the Earth 2 characters people uh, are on Earth 2, and they're kind of like, what's going on? Because they don't remember Earth 2. Except Superman, of course, does, and he's glad to be back there with Lois. Uh, Booster and Blue Beetle get caught by Batman, and uh, Booster's kind of saying that, you know, Blue Beetle can see uh, Brother Eyes tech. This is a big deal. This is why he's here. This is why we're here. Um, Connor, after being getting his ass kicked uh, in the last issue, uh, is visited by uh, Lex Luthor, which I believe is kind of expanded more in the Teen Titans issues. Although, again, it's been a while, so I can't really recall all of them. Um, and then there's a really nice kind of remembrance of Earth 2, uh, Superman and Lois Lane's history. And then she dies. Superman screams, shatters glass, and Superman hears it on Earth 1. And I'm going to take a break from Infinite Crisis to go to the Superman Infinite Crisis uh, trade paperback. Because that's basically where it starts. It reprints some pages and goes right there. Um, actually, I'm not going to go there quite yet. Um, we have Diana being visited by Diana Prince from Earth 2. Uh, her kind of spe- issues, who's actually in her invisible plane, which is hilarious. Uh, Superman finds the first, uh, the Superman of Earth 2, and he's like, you know, what happened? I heard you say Lois. Um, and then Superman of Earth 2 does a very classic thing, picking up an old car and shoving it into Superman as an homage to Action Comics number one. And now the two Supermen start throwing down. That's where we then pick up the Superman Infinite Crisis trade paperback, which uh, collects the following issues. Um, I believe it collects Superman 226, Action Comics 836, and Adventures of Superman 649. Um, so the Superman by 226 has a great cover um, by, uh, let's see, Ed McGinnis, which I really liked, which is a very kind of classic Superman pose. Um, and basically the premise of these issues is that as the as these care as the two supermen are fighting they're kind of reliving each other's worlds uh as if they were each other so like as if if you had the earth 2 version of superman uh living through you know uh earth 1 superman's life he would have made different decisions even though at some points i don't think the um the continuity of it really makes a lot of sense or you have the Earth ones, the, sorry, the New Earth Superman living Earth through Superman's life, again making slightly different decisions, uh, all as they're kind of having this throwdown with each other. If Earth through Superman uh, had lived through uh, New Earth Superman's uh, world, he would not have died against Doomsday. Um, he would not have necessarily been against my wiping, but he would have been a, about exiling people to the Phantom Zone. He would have eventually kind of joined up with the Elite. Like it's a, it's an interesting tale. I really like the artwork. Um, a bunch of different artists have really put in some amazing work here. And then at the very end, you just had them fighting. And then, like every issue that happened before the uh, one year later started, you had this nice shot of the two supermen facing off against each other. And then all these alternate reality versions of who they could have been uh, in the back. So you have, like, Superman Red fighting Superman Blue. Uh, you have versions I've never even seen of. One that looks, I believe, from the Godfall armor. Uh, one that looks like KC Superman. Like, all these different Supermen fighting each other, which is kind of cool. Um, so, I mean, if you, if you are ever able to pick it up cheap, the Superman Infinite Crisis trade paperback is a lot of fun. Um, it, it's literally within panels of what actually happens in Infinite Crisis. So I can't say it's like consequential because it isn't, but it's a good read. Um, and one I definitely enjoy and I'm glad I have it in trade now. Um, so Wonder Woman finds out a lot about what, you know, about the the crisis and what she could be and should be uh she tries to stop the two supermen from fighting each other 
and uh, and Superman from Earth Two is finally kind of realizing that he may have been duped, and uh, that it's not you know Earth One or sorry New Earth's fault that his wife is dead. Um, again, in space we have uh, Firestorm again having dealing with something that just happened in his own series, but is not really explicitly referenced because there's no uh, editors boxes. Uh, we have um, Alexander Luther. Messing with Superman to try and find the right Earth. All these different Earths starts popping up in the in in the sky. Uh, Nightwing's trying to bring together every, all the heroes, but it's kind of too late. Everyone's out there. Uh, an awesome shot of all these different Earths just kind of exploding. Reminds me of what's going on right now uh, with the incursions in uh, the Marvel Universe. Because it's the same kind of idea where you have these different kind of realities colliding into each other and briefly encompassing the same space. You definitely have that here. Uh, Nightwing and te- um, Superboy team up that they're going to... They're going to go and find out um, where everything is kind of happening. Go find the tower in the Antarctic. So they're going to team up, which I believe was part of a Teen Titans issue. Uh, Then in Tokyo, uh, we suddenly have... So right now, the shit's hitting the fan everywhere. The the villains are around the muck. Uh, Alexander Luther's trying to find the perfect Earth. Uh, Superman Prime is off the table. It has been for an issue. And then suddenly, we have Flash show up. Now, when when Flash shows up... This is a big deal. This is something that you can do in comics that you can't really do in other mediums as well. Is that you have Flash show up. He's wearing a different belt. He's not wearing the belt that Wally West typically wears. So everyone's like, is this Barry? What's going on here? Um, And when you hear him talk, he doesn't say anything that indicates who he is. And you can't hear his voice. You don't know anything about him. All we know is that Superboy Prime is now rampaging through. He's escaped. Flash couldn't hold him, whoever Flash may or may not be, so there was a lot of speculation based on the fact that his belt went all the way around and didn't have the lightning bolts at the crotch, that it was Barry. Uh, and that was a rare, especially given that it was 20 years since he died, Barry had just showed up in the previous issue inside the Speed Force, now we have Superboy Prime escaping the Speed Force. This is, I mean, it's kind of crazy to look back at some of the stuff and be like, well, like, why would you think that? But this is what people were starting to think. There was a lot of speculation. Who is the Flash? Is it still Wally? Wally and his family are gone. Who is this? Is this Barry making his big uh, reappearance? Uh, because, you know, at this point, I mean, what? We just had a Witcher Soldier show up the year before. Uh, Jason Todd was back to life already. So, like, it's not outside the realm of possibility. One of the few deaths that at this point had not been overturned is Uncle Ben, Gwen Stacy, and Barry Allen. He was a few years away from actually coming back. I mean, he'd show up in the Speed Force from time to time, but he was still technically dead. It would be a few years until he would show up in Final Crisis and actually make his big, you know, uh, run to freedom, so to speak, and, and joining the, the land of the living once more. Uh, so it's just to kind of go back at that and see this. And also, when you see Superboy Prime escaping, um, wearing, you know, kind of an anti-monitor armor, that's a holy fuck moment. That's like, what has happened? Um... And then the, the I guess it was issue six around now. Um, the uh, the cover is uh, I like the George Perez one a lot because it has like kind of the multiverse blowing up kind of idea. Uh, I think there was a few versions of this cover before it was first released in terms of promos because I think you just saw shattering shattered multiverse. They didn't want to show everything, uh, especially because it would have been a few months in advance, and I don't think Alexander Luther had been perfectly revealed as the villain at and then you have the uh, jim lee cover which is actually pretty sweet where you have superboy prime sitting there with a kind of a glowing cable eye uh where you have like a batarang on the ground you have superman's uh, fl- uh cable tattered a la death of superman you have uh, the uh green lantern battery uh i don't think there's anything for flash now that i think about it i don't see a flash ringer anywhere 
uh, but you do have uh, Wonder Woman Tiara. So the idea that shit has gone down, and, he, and he's also holding the um, the lasso for, for Wonder Woman. So uh, in space, you have the Blue Beetle, the Blue Beetle's bug uh, with uh, John Stewart's on board, as well as Green Arrow, uh, Hal Jordan, um, Black Canary, the new Blue Beetle. Um, Metamorpho, Booster Gold, Batman, and Sasha Bordeaux. Uh, one thing I don't have actually is the uh, trade paperback with the um, all the specials because uh, there is for each countdown issue uh, or countdown series. Sorry, they had a special issue that was in and around what was going on in Infinite Crisis. So I think the one in for Villains United was basically leading up to the Battle of Metropolis and like what happens just before. Uh, for the OMAC Project one, I think it's what happens when Brother Eye goes down and it had a I think it was heavily featuring uh, Black Queen or Sasha Bordeaux. Um, I can't really remember much about the Ranthanagar War one or the or the um, the Magic one, unfortunately. Uh, so I have all these heroes going up against Brother Eye, trying to survive against all these Omax. Uh, on Earth two, the two Supermen finally decide to team up, uh, and they're mourning um, uh, Lois. And then you have. And this is one of the things I love, is that you have all these different Earths suddenly shown. You have Earth-S, Earth-247, uh, Earth-0. Like You're seeing all these characters, and I love seeing different alternate realities, especially ones that people know. Uh, and some of them they don't necessarily know, but they, they're similar enough. And the idea that Alexander Luther was plucking different Earths out and then pl- smashing them together to try and create new Earths and trying to find the perfect Earth. Uh, and he's not quite able to find it. Uh, and he, and then we on uh, at, back on Earth One at Stonehenge, you have the Spectre again being bonded to Crispus Allen, um, but not before I believe he kills uh, one of the Star Sapphires, uh, Deborah Camille Darnell, who I personally don't really know much of. Uh, in Antarctic, uh, is this the Arctic or Antarctica? I can't even remember. You have uh, Wonder Girl joining up with uh, Superboy and Nightwing, uh, which is kind of cool to see them together. Uh, going up against the Omax, trying to free everyone who's on uh, Alexander Luther's tower. Um, Superman, obviously, is, and Wonder Woman are being affected by what Alexander Luther is doing with to the multiverse. Uh, Nightwing tries to attack him. Uh, uh, Lady Quark, uh, Breach, Ray, Marshmander, Power Girl, they all escape. Um, they're trying to fight up against um, uh, Alexander Luther. Black, uh, Black Adam destroys... Um, what's his name? Uh, Psycho Pirate. Although even in the art at this point, I should state that has steadily declined because it wasn't all Yemenes. You were getting more fill-ins, and some of the artwork looked rushed. So the the, the slaughter of um of him of uh, Psycho Pirate especially looks messed up because like if you look at where the arm is for Black Adam, I don't even think that makes sense. And how long must his fingers be to have destroyed his entire head like this? I think he has Mister Fantastic fingers. Uh, then we have Superboy Prime finally comes back. Uh, Black Adam tries to fight him and then gets, gets roundly uh, punched away by Superboy Prime. Uh, Superboy Prime wants to bring back his world, Earth Prime. That's the one that he wants to be the perfect Earth. He doesn't really care what Alexander Luther actually wants. Um, and uh, back on Brother Eye, uh, Batman's doing everything he can to uh, turn him off and... Uh, Brother Eye is threatening uh, Nightwing a lot. And again, this is right around the time where it was heavily implied that they were going to kill off Nightwing, which they kind of revealed was originally the plan, but then they convinced Andadio not to do it. Which, I, But for years, they would always be like, are you going to kill Nightwing? And he'd be like, yeah, I might. Um, 
And we have the final rematch between Superboy Primes. So Superboy Prime, sorry, not Superboy Primes, Superboy and Superboy Prime. Man, multiverse stuff is confusing. As they have their last big drag down fight. Um, at the same time, and they smash into the tower. Everything that Alexander Luther was trying to do uh, is kind of destroyed. And everything kind of gets coalesced onto New Earth. Uh, sorry, I guess it was still Earth 1. Now it's New Earth. And unfortunately, Superboy has died um, as uh, Nightwing and um, uh, Wonder Girl are there to mourn him, as well as Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman of Earth 2. And that leads to the uh, big climactic chapter. Are we at the climactic chapter? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Uh, issue 7, uh, which is the big ending. I uh, really like the... Uh, the George Perez cover, which is like all these villains and heroes fighting in Metropolis, which is really cool to look at. That being said, the Jim Lee one is pretty awesome too, with every Green Lantern going up against um, Superboy Prime. Uh, so this is, again, uh, Robin finds out that his best friend is dead. This will have major impacts for him one year later because he has a different costume. He goes a lot darker uh, for a little while uh, because he's dealing with the best, his best friend's death, and he also is not that far removed from losing his dad either. Uh, Metropolis is a cool idea to have this big battle in Metropolis, but there's almost too many characters that they can't tell a like a. I feel, feel like this could have been its own miniseries, just this battle in Metropolis with how many heroes and villains are on these awesome pages. But I feel like it's really just kind of um, it goes. It's it's just kind of swept under the rug. It's, it goes by really fast. Like you have Doomsday and you have two Supermen against him. Okay, fine, but still they should be able to take off Doomsday with a few punches and then he's done. Like that just feels stupid. Um, and the fact that the heroes are just because super, the two supermen show up and if, with a few of their friends, the fact that they're so easy, so it's so easy to defeat all the villains is a little hard to swallow. Um, we have Flash fighting against uh, Superboy Prime, and this is where we find out when he says "Stay away from me, Bart," and suddenly we, we know that this Flash is not Barry, he's not Wally, but in fact he's Bart Allen. And even uh, Super, uh, Wonder Girl is like, you're old and you're the Flash? And he's like, no. My grandpa's uniform was the only thing that could survive the trip back. And I was the only one of us who could still run. I came to warn everyone, but when I got here, I collapsed, passed out in Tokyo. I didn't know Superboy Prime would go after him again after Connor. So it's really cool that he has this kind of cool, you know, he is the Flash now. Again, you're getting these ideas that this is kind of similar to where they ended off the original Crisis in Infinite Earths, where you had this major uh, kind of turning point where Barry was no longer around anymore, and now you had Wally picking up the mantle. And here we have uh, Bart doing the same. Again, really cool concepts, which I don't think ever really paid off enough. Um, so you have all the heroes kind of fighting against Alexander Luther and Superboy Prime. Superboy Prime going into space to try and... Uh, mess with everything. Uh, you have this, the two Supermen going after him. You have every Green Lantern trying to create a giant wall of green to kind of stop um, Superboy during his his march. Uh, you end up again. You're flashing back between the battle on Earth, where you have Batman almost killing Alexander Luther, and then Wonder Woman suddenly has decided that it's not worth it and it's not worth killing. And then in space, you have the two Supermen plunging Superboy Prime through a red sun, landing on Mogo, and then having a final drag-out fight, uh, where finally they're able to subdue Superboy Prime, but not before a Superman of Earth-2 dies. And then we have a bit of a, a, a lot of recap all at once, because you have the idea that, um, you know, people people have died, uh, including, you know, Jim Cor uh, not Jim Corgan, uh, Chris Allen is now the Spectre, um... You know, uh, Bart has decided he's not the Flash, but instead uh, Jay can be the Flash. Um, 
Alexander Luther is able to escape, and then he finds himself um, targeted by the Joker, who then kills him uh, pretty disgustingly, uh, melts like half his face, and then shoots him in the head uh, because he didn't enjoy a, um, didn't invite Joker to join his party. And then Lex Luthor's like, "Now nah, who's stupid?" And that would end up actually being a, a plot point that they'd use in Fifty Two, where you had this Lex Luthor body, so you can kind of blame anything that he's done on this uh, this this double. Uh, and then at the very end, you have the three hero, three main heroes deciding that uh, the Trinity has kind of been reunited, more or less, but that uh, Superman is depowered as a result of the big fight. Batman's going on a soul-searching uh, journey with his family in terms of Dick Grayson and Tim Drake, and Wonder Woman's got to figure out her own thing as well. And then uh, you get this cool big um, double-page spread, which is different in the original singles than it is on the trade paperback, uh, as they change some characters and move some characters around, change some costumes, etc., to reflect the the one-year-later appearances. And at the very end, we see that in the center of the universe in Oa, there's a big, um, inside of a, a sun eater, so quantum containment field surrounding a junior red, red sun eater, courtesy of Donna Troy, 50 Green Lanterns watching him at all times. And uh, you have Superboy Prime, who then uh, carves a big an a, a bloody ass into his chest and says, I've been in worse places than, than this, and I've gotten out. And the next time we would see him wouldn't be until the Sinestro Corps war. Uh, so that is Infinite Crisis. Um, man, one hell of an event. Again, I would love to find all the tie-in issues again and kind of read them all. And I think it was just a really worthwhile event. It did peter off a little up near the end. The art wasn't as strong. Um, I think the scripting got a little lazier near the end. But for the most part, I think it's a pretty strong read. Um, it's it's worthy of the name Crisis because it definitely felt big. Uh, and you had all these different elements kind of coalescing, coming together. Uh, I think it's an amazing narrative, um, generally. And it led into 52. And, you know, it definitely was a big turning point for me as a DC reader because I was I was really paying attention. Like, I kind of had my Marvel blinders on till then. Like, I've gone back and read a lot of DC over the years. Because I, I, I am interested in certain characters, certain eras. Um, but if it hadn't been for this, like, I don't know if... I don't think I was really buying much of anything DC. I think I was buying Green Lantern Rebirth and then buying the relaunched Green Lantern book. And that was about it. Um, I, right around the time when this had come out, I had just started reading some of Jeff Johns' Flash, which I absolutely love. And still think is one of the best takes on the character because his version of Wally West was fantastic, and Zoom was an amazing character uh, as well. So I mean, I was not reading a lot of DC again. I, I read Hush, but like these were almost more uh, segregated events. They weren't part of a general kind of trend towards DC that I had. Is that I was just a Marvel fan. But again, this is an era where I had pulled back from the X Men books because what? Well, this is what 2005. So I mean. The X-Men books, I kind of was not as interested for a few years when we had the Morrisonization of the X-Men. I wasn't interested. And then Uncanny was being read by Chuck Austin, who I wasn't interested in either. So I wasn't really sure where I was going with some of my comic book stuff. Um, but I was definitely really enjoying Infinite Crisis, and I still do. Uh, I just still think it's a strong, strong story. Too bad Final Crisis couldn't have been stronger. I think part of the problem with Final Crisis is that it's called Crisis. And people expected something after getting Crisis and Infinite Earths and Infinite Crisis. They were thinking they were getting Product A when they were getting Product ZYZ uh, that Morrison threw together. It was not like it's a bad 
idea. Not like it's a bad story. It's just I don't think it was what anyone expected, especially when you had a year-long lead-up that ended up having nothing to do with the actual story you read, which is not Grant Morrison's fault. It's editorial's fault for thinking that they were doing one thing but not really discussing it with uh, Grant Morrison at all. Anyways, I think that's it for our episode. Um, if you have any ideas for future things you'd like me to flash back to or do spotlights on in terms of old old crossovers, old events, I mean, I'm happy to do them. I, I'm i interested in doing a lot of them, um, but I want to make sure I'm doing things that people are actually interested in listening to. Uh, if you want to hear me go through Acts of Vengeance, tell me, and I'll do it, because I think it would be a really fun thing. Again, looking at kind of an artifact from a very different era of Marvel Comics would be a lot of fun. Uh, same thing with DC. I mean, there's a lot of DC events that we could look at, too. Um, anyway, so thank you for joining me for episode what, uh, 208. Uh, this has been our flashback to Infinite Crisis. Uh, if you want to email me, you can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also post in our HC Realms thread as well. Thank you very much for listening to this episode, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>